Hey everybody, and welcome to the next episode of It's Bananas with Jeremy Fisher. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This happens every Monday at 9 a.m. And if you enjoy the video, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're a comedian and you want to come on, uh, feel free to shoot me a message or a comment below and I'll try to get back to you as quick as I can. On this week's episode, we have Kaina Morgan. Uh, Kaina, thank you so much for coming out. Thank you, I appreciate it. I uh, really appreciate it. By the way, you're my first international comedian, so I really appreciate you okay. uh, you coming on. Yeah, I should clarify, I'm an American in yes. London, yeah, England, <laughs> and not Ontario. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, uh, I'm from Indiana. I'm a Hoosier, which a lot of people would know now because it's, it's like one of those states like Idaho or Kansas, like nobody ever pays attention to Indiana. Yeah. Mike Pence is from there. Mm -hmm. So I, I draw a little bit from that because of my attitude toward Mike Pence. Um, so that comes into my act a little bit. Yeah. But um, yeah, I guess what led to me being here in London is uh, the past few years, a few difficult things went on. It sort of accumulated and it culminated last October in basically an early midlife crisis yeah like 41 right and so i hit that wall and i thought oh my god what am i going to do with my life because i work in communications and publicity mm -hmm. and i thought yeah let me just devote myself to writing because i've always liked comedic writing yeah and writing screenplays i've studied film it's in my educational background some professional stuff and I thought, yeah, this is, I'm just going to do something crazy that I kind of always wanted to do. So I came to, uh, I just immediately booked on to a course and bought a plane ticket to, to London mm -hmm. uh, and started mid-January this year, uh, a pretty renowned uh, stand-up comedy course in Soho okay. in London, because I liked the names of the people that had gone through mm -hmm. before. I'm like, oh, I know these comics. I love these yeah. comics awards and they're on like live at the apollo and all the bbc shows and things like that yeah. so i thought let me just do that and i started that it was just four weeks uh four sunday afternoons and i did that i thought this has been fantastic i met a great group of 10 other people mm -hmm. i was the only non-british person yeah. in the class <laughs> so i had loads of loads of questions about why do you do this in british comedy and Americans mm. do it this way, and I prefer the British way, or vice versa, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And then I went home for about three, three and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I had done my graduate showcase here, which is basically kind of like an open mic just for people in the course. And they had a really nice, supportive crowd. And I did one open mic at home because it's so hard to find a place to do it. There's no real comedy culture at all where I'm from. Really? Yeah, it's it's very hard. It's this one place in South Bend, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, which I guess in North America you'd know South Bend because of University of Notre Dame football. Okay. That's sort of its most yeah. famous, most famous you know climb to fame. I'm mm -hmm. from just a small town east of there, and yeah, I would have had to drive an hour, two, three hours, either go to Detroit, go to Chicago, to Indianapolis. Yeah, one of the bigger cities. Yeah. Exactly. A place with like a, a proper club. I mean, mm -hmm. the one the one in South Bend is called The Drop. It's a proper club, but South Bend's only about 150,000 people. So it's really, it's really small. Yeah. And so I was home for just a few weeks. I did that open mic, uh, went really, really, really well. Um, and hopefully they just, they weren't just being nice. Yeah. Because <laughs> you know? that would be awful to find out after. Yeah. 
but uh, yeah, I got compliments. I thought, yeah, I felt really confident. I thought I, I really need to go back um, to London to gig. Mm-hmm. So that's why I came back. I got two gigs in. So it was my fourth gig, and then everything started shutting down. Yeah, uh, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. So I was I was reading the the CDC in the states and the NHS notices here and and all that kind of news about the the notifications and the warnings and travel yeah. warnings. All this sort of stuff, and I just thought I'm just going to stay here for a while because none of us knew how it was going to pan out. Mm-hmm. We thought, oh, four weeks, six weeks, who knows? Yeah, exactly. You know, and I thought maybe I could. I, I've always thought maybe I could build a career in comedy or writing, mm-hmm. either in Canada or the UK. Yeah. Um, because in the states, your options really to make a living mm-hmm. um, are in New York and LA, and I didn't really want to live there and it's yeah. more and or also, less yeah and there's also like hundreds of other comedians that are like hustling so damn hard to do it so exactly and i knew that in london because i had also read a study something like I, I mean the per per capita london has or really i think the uk as a whole more comedy clubs than really anywhere in the english-speaking world yeah uh new york toronto any place. Mm-hmm. So I, this is great. So many of my influences are, are British or Scottish. I thought, let me just go there, study, see who I can meet, see if I can do something. And then when the lockdown occurred, I thought, this is great. I'm going to stay here because it's so much more dangerous just getting home, let alone being home. Just the yeah. flight there and the airports and no testing and all of that sort of stuff. Let me just stay here. I rented a flat and uh, about half of my comedy group that I went through that course with five of us got together and we're working on projects. That's amazing. I, I write a lot. I do. Um, I'm just, I set aside a huge chunk of my yeah. savings. Cause I was going to try to come back and spend every other month here. And I thought, well, now that I'm here, let me just spend a few months. Yeah. Maybe go home if I can't find a job here or something mm-hmm. and come back at a safer time. I just, yeah. I just stay here for a while. So I probably head home in June at some point. Yeah, at some point, if depending on what's going to happen, you yeah. you don't know. You don't yeah, know exactly. And do are you happy that you're currently in London right now rather than the U.S.? Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's so it's actually it's it's kind of counterintuitive because I live right next door to my parents, mm-hmm. and my sister is behind them, and my other sister is uh, in the next county, like okay. twenty minutes away. So we're all sort of right there, mm-hmm. and. Um, but I was at a point, a lot of stuff, like my dad had cancer in 2018. He had two different kinds of cancer. He went through two different uh, rounds of chemo over the course of like six or seven months. Wow. And that happened. And then I lost several pets right in a row. And mm-hmm. like these huge stressors in your life. I had I had done my master's and finally and, and got it done at the end of 2017. I was trying to make a go of a publishing company that's I've reckoned with that, just reconciled with the fact that it's just going to stay small. I can't make a make a living from that. So it's actually better for my mental health. That's the counterintuitive part, being in lockdown, being single, being completely alone, mm-hmm. where my only social interaction is on Zoom yeah. or Skype sometimes. Mm-hmm. And just hearing people's voices when I go to the grocery store, those it's it's not a conversation yeah right. no, it's like i'm always meaning. i'm always trying to like spark up conversations whenever i'm out because i currently live by myself so like i'm in the yeah. same situation where i'm just communicating through like zoom or like facebook messenger or whatever 
So whenever I'm going out and trying to talk to like, I want to try to talk to people. So I'm always like trying to be really friendly and approachable. I'm like, just please somebody, I need that kind of like communication, <laughs> just somebody that's not through a screen. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and like, like the touching too, like I watched, um, I binged watched a, a friend's recommendation, a thing on the, the BBC has something like the iPlayer, so you can rewatch shows after the air, and it's great. I can't get it outside the UK. I'm always geo-blocked. And I'm like, yeah. I want to watch this stuff. So I binge watch it, and there's like a sex scene every five minutes. Oh, my God. I'm like, this is the last thing I need yeah. <laughs> right now. I live alone. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it, this is actually, I think, the 20th day inside. Oh, wow. For me yeah because i'm just paranoid the last few times i went outside to get groceries because it's a fairly busy part of london even though most people are still at home but london's like new york city is eight and a half million people mm -hmm. right and to keep and all of those people inside like that's the same thing with toronto because uh, we recently a couple weeks ago we had a really nice uh really nice april day i think it was april or may um and um like literally so many people were out like i just went out to go get some groceries and i, I was like uh, social distancing didn't even matter at all. Like yes, that's how many that? people were out there. I, I can't under, I understand wanting to have fun and get out. Mm -hmm. And it's different. Obviously if there's domestic abuse in the home, that kind of thing, you hate, yeah. your, you hate your partner, whatever you have mental disorder, whatever, but, oh, please stay home people. Yeah. Cause almost nobody around here wears a mask like I took to actually counting people and last time I went in out went out it was about one out of every 23 people yeah <laughs> and what? none of the joggers and oh, they will God. run right by you because they think they're they're going fast I'm not going to hurt you but if right. you're breathing <gasps> yeah they're breathing heavily <laughs> and they're also leaving a trail behind them of all of that breathing <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah so staying oh. inside yeah that's good that's good um a lot of people I just don't understand like and now and for Canada right now uh, some places are starting to get permission to go back to work um, oh gosh so we're starting to do that I'm um, not sure how well that's going to go over I'm glad my work isn't like I've been working from home because mm -hmm. uh, I work for a studio but I'm actually glad that um, that we're still working from home because I don't want to be a part of the first wave that goes out because like a lot of people are going to go back out and then a lot of people are probably going to end up contracting it Exactly. It's like watching, um, like watching, have you seen the film 1917? Yes. When they come up over the ridge, that yeah. first wave, they knew they were almost all going to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. No, thanks. Right. Like, I, I don't understand that. Uh, I'd rather just not be a part of the first group that goes out. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait because we don't even have a vaccine for it yet. So I'm like, I'm no. just going to see how well the first wave does for those brave souls that decide to just go out and do it. And then we'll, I'll make my conclusion based off of that. Right, exactly, exactly. Well, and in the States, there's so much, I know there's a bit here because there's a huge, well, I don't know if it was huge. I shouldn't say that there was a, a protest in Hyde Park today. Yeah. Um, and I know there are protests in a lot of places around the world, but there's something uniquely um, American about the idea of like invoking the idea of freedom. Yeah. You know, freedom to do whatever the hell we want to do mm -hmm. and a lot of people just don't understand that and i try to explain it and i really struggle <laughs> to yeah. explain it myself honestly so. like I, the way that i see it I've, I've also seen this around is like people that go that are going out to these protests to like and getting into like mass gatherings and stuff they're pretty much just like terrorists at that point <laughs> because you exactly. think that they're harming everybody else and what do terrorists normally do they put they put harm in like everybody's way 
So if people are going out, especially with like Americans that are going to like going out with these guns, like what are you doing? You're you're at, you're pretty much a terrorist at that point. And isn't that everything that you were fighting against? Yes, exactly. There's that. And I just don't understand why people are protesting. They're going out to protest not being able to go out. Yeah. That's Honestly, what it, like, I feel like terrorists are doing a lot better right now because they're staying in. They're listening to the World Health Organization. They're like, you know what? I'm going right. to focus on me right now. I'm going to put my work at uh, I'm going to like not work at home. I'm just going like, <laughs> to yeah. focus on myself, do like some knitting or whatever. And then when, you, <laughs> yes. then when they go back out, then they can get back to work. But until then, at least they're staking by it. Right. A little, little self-care for the terrorists now, but yeah. maybe they're honing it at home so that terrorism when they go out is just going to be ugh, like a plus terrorism right they have all that practice learning other skills and stuff they got all that free yeah. online education so they can learn more <laughs> exactly. if anything they probably don't even want to do it just because of all the education that they just got from all the free online courses right. exactly like like um like a master class yeah oh, God. <laughs> like not helen mirren but yeah mm. I love all those like master classes that are coming out or well, you see like the sponsored it's like oh this program was like $1500 but now you can get it for like 37. It's like how does a program go from $1500 to 37? Like what that that's not a deal that's just a scam right there. Oh it's it's absolutely a scam because they yeah. marked it up 500%. Oh man it's funny cuz like even reading all the comments for it, it's just like it's the same it's saying the same thing it's like this is kind of terrible like don't trust anything that's like normally fifteen hundred or two like twenty five hundred dollars and it just drops down to thirty seven like that's just not cool. <laughs> no, it's not gonna. That's that's why it's a scam. Yeah, and we put up with it. Why do we put up with it? I don't know because there's always going to be people like there's people that are messed up in every kind of industry. And you're always going to have those people that are trying to take advantage of the people who don't know at all. Yeah. Which is yeah, kind of sad, but I mean, it's a sad truth. You're going to have the people that are really good. You're going to have the people that are really bad. And then you're going to have everybody else in between. Yes. Most, mostly ignorant. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, um, so you said that you're, you're doing um, your courses in, uh, in London. How come you didn't want to come to like Canada or maybe even do like second city? You know, I did a couple of things. Um, what did I do? I forget the first course at, at second city. Cause uh, second city's in Chicago. So it's about like a two and a half hour drive. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's very hard to get in and I'm not familiar with Chicago. So I take the train and yeah. one of the reasons I didn't do more, cause I also did an improv course, but I didn't finish it. And I had done something, uh, I think it was a comedy writing course. And I'd done something online years and years ago, mm -hmm. um, sketch comedy writing years, like 12 years ago or something. And um, it's just so hard to get into Chicago. You can do yeah. some stuff online, but then it's, it's still, it's like working from home. It's you in front of the computer screen. Mm -hmm. And the way I get to Chicago without having to drive, the only way to do it is on a really long train from South Bend. Mm -hmm. And it's 45 minutes to the airport where the train leaves. And so round trip just to get to say like the improv course about three years ago that I did. Yeah. It was a seven hour round trip. Wow. Plus plus the class time mm -hmm. i mean you got so, seven hours to write material you do but it is exhausting because i yeah. have to wake up at like 4 30 in the morning to catch the early train I yeah like, we gotta i'm look just at, not gonna do it yeah we gotta look at comedians like kevin hart who when he was younger he took a bus to, uh, to where did he take a bus to was it was it new york or 
one of the one major city but he did it, it was like three and a half hours and all he would do on that bus ride was just start writing jokes yeah yeah i wish i i wish i'd done a stand-up course there because i think that would have been doable but yeah. doing an improv you just it's what it's in the room at that minute mm-hmm. you know and it's you can't write material for it yeah um and maybe also i just wasn't as as dedicated because i was i was right in the middle of doing masters as well mm-hmm and that took a lot of a lot of my time just because I, I wanted it to. It was a part-time course, but it, it really should have been a full-time course because mm. of all the reading and all the writing that you had to do. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. There's something about like last October, which I call a midlife crisis because <laughs> I, I don't know what else to call it. That's mm-hmm. what it felt like. Like one of those make or break moments yeah like i have a few weeks to decide maybe three weeks to decide otherwise i'm going to plunge into a deep dark well of depression yeah i won't ever come out of honestly it's like it's amazing that you did that though because like it doesn't matter what age you start as long as you start it so that you don't regret it later on in life yeah exactly and i really wanted to write and i know that i'm funny yeah and i know that i'm a good writer but i I haven't honed the skills exactly Mm -hmm. um and so I want to write scripts, I want to write comedy. And one reason I specifically chose stand-up was because I could write jokes and immediately see, you have an immediate response whether they work. Yeah. You do it 10, 15, 20 times. I'm, I'm only eight gigs in mm-hmm. right now. Um, but you do it 10, 15, 20 times, work it out, you workshop it, you tweak it. If it's still not working, you throw it out, right? Yeah, right. At some point, you have to trash it. Yeah, because um, it's, like, keep... it's just not relatable at that point. Exactly, exactly. If you never get a laugh, then something's wrong. You keep changing it. No. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew that I could just get that immediate response, see whether my jokes work. I know putting a joke in a script, totally different than telling an audience. Mm-hmm. Things matter with the audience, like time of day, venue, are you drunk yet? Are okay. you just buzzing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And like if I want to work in the UK, they commission shows, but you go through different different levels okay. and the people who often commission shows aren't professional comedians or aren't professional writers mm-hmm. and so that's that's an interesting thing that's probably true everywhere though maybe yeah you know? um so but it's a good maybe first step toward figuring out if your jokes work yeah exactly who, who likes them who don't are they too dark are they too sexual whatever yeah are they too political mm-hmm. so i like it i like satire i like a little bit of surrealism and I like to write about politics and sex and human behavior and culture. Yeah. So. But I mean, like everybody has the things that they like talking about. And I feel like you should just kind of talk about whatever you, whatever makes you happy, because then you'll find other people that kind of share those same kind of like perspective and they'll enjoy your kind of comedy because they understand it. Absolutely. One reason I love stand up specifically is that there is absolutely room for everybody mm-hmm. and um i heard sometime last year when dave chappelle won the mark twain prize for humor mm-hmm. he gave a really great speech where he taught where he talked about that he said whether i agree with you or not whether i think you're a good comic or not this profession this craft allows room for everybody mm-hmm. and we can hash out our differences if it's about racism or sexism or what is it we can hash it out later but he's always he said something wonderful about how I'm always going to defend the craft and defend the art, mm-hmm. whether 
what I think you're saying is awful or wrong or offensive. I hate hate using the term offensive when it yeah. comes to comedy. Yeah, right. But, um, like, yeah. some people are going to get offensive because they just can't laugh at anything and they're just going to live a horrible, miserable life because they just can't take joy in literally anything at all. <laughs> and this is why uh, this is why comedians are always going to be the funniest just because they enjoy laughing at literally everything because like that's how they want to live absolutely i and i saw one of my favorite comics this is british comic named sarah pasco is just fantastic at what she does and she did an insta live the other night where mm. she went over a lot of questions about getting into comedy how you deal with promoters how you deal with invoices like all of like it runs the gamut how do you write what do you write about how do you find jokes mm -hmm. And um, she said at some point, as you get into it, into stand-up, your brain becomes a filter. Yeah. Everything that you see and hear and smell and experience in life. And ultimately, your friends and family will hate you for that. Yeah. <laughs> because you'll take bits of their conversation or you ask them about this or you use that situation. But that's, that's how I am in a lot of my life because I just write little premises down for stories whether yeah, exactly. i end up writing that script or short story or not mm -hmm. and now it's just moved from that to stand-up mm -hmm. whereas before it was always stories but stand-ups are always stories even if they're just one-liners there's yeah. a story to a one-liner mm -hmm. um so now it's just everything so i'm telling my friends sometimes when they say something like my stand-up friends they're like that's a good bit write that write that down they're like oh yeah yeah it's just filtering through here now right. everything's comedy yeah whenever i think of something that actually like just makes me laugh in that kind of moment i'm always just writing it down in my phone like i have to get this down because yeah. and i'm constantly doing that just always just writing down any kind of premise that i think about just because of like if it made me laugh maybe i can work into something into a funny joke or whatever yeah and i love the ones where you just or i'll just be sitting in the park and just suddenly i'll be looking at a cloud or something and i'll go ha <laughs> ha you know, like, mm -hmm. yes, right, write that down. I always have paper with me or yeah. I put it in my phone. But I really like writing in a notebook because the act of physically writing yeah, it helps out a lot. It yeah, yeah, it helps out a lot more. Yeah. And you're less likely to edit yourself when you mm -hmm. shouldn't be editing yourself at all. Yeah. Um, that's for later. Yeah, exactly. Just write it all down just the way that it's coming out of your brain and then go back. That's why the, um, another thing, when I'm always writing it down, I always just put on the, um, the speech to text. That way, it's just like my thoughts are, are running rather than like me having to type it. Sometimes it's just a lot easier that way. Yeah, that's really good. I'm always interested in the, the apps that people use to save uh, either things that they've written that they can, you know, type and upload from somewhere or just the speech to text. I've never, I've never used any voice recorders for yeah. that. It really helps um, just because yeah. like you'll have it down, like especially like the speech to text. Like I just use the basic notepad on my phone. But uh, because like with Google, like the Google keyboard, they have like the little talk, uh, like the speech to text icon. So I just click that on oh, yeah. and then it just starts listening to everything that you're saying. I might. Uh, yeah, I don't use that because I'm completely paranoid, <laughs> but um, really? I probably should. I probably should. I just it's more comfortable, I think, because I, I see myself and I feel like a writer. Yeah. And so it's harder to just pick something up and start talking, whereas mm -hmm. I need to as I'm thinking about it, I need to write each word for some reason. I think that's just how, how I am. I should try it though. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like, let me try to write puns when I've never written puns. Let me try to write one liners just to experiment with that. It's just a different form of writing. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. So why are you so paranoid about it? Oh, I just hate things listening to you. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, 
if they if they already have all of this technology, don't you think they would want to do it? They can already doing it anyway. I know. So at Stop that point, this at, is at what I don't point, need to hear. Like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? They're they're not really interested in you unless like you're a high priority. They're not going to be interested yeah. in you. There's so many people in the world, and honestly, if you're not making a big deal, then really they're not going to care about you. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, which is its own kind of dystopian vision of the present and future. Right. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. We're listening to, and like in the UK, the closed caption TV, more, it's one of the most highly surveilled populations in the world. Yeah. You know, I'd be more paranoid about that. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, my window's open all day, every day. Right. So somebody's always looking in. Yeah. <laughs> and you wouldn't even be able to do like any kind of sexual acts outside just because they'd always be watching you. Yes. Exactly. Where's the fun in that? <laughs> I've learned over the years watching a lot of British comedy. Do you know the term dogging? Dogging? Dogging. What's I uh... It's what I guess all North Americans would probably just very mundanely call public sex. Oh, okay. Right. Oh that, that, a, that yeah, that makes sense. Okay. It's a thing, but it's people people watching you. Yeah. And it is just a an evergreen piece of comedy mm-hmm. in British British comedy on the panel shows. Um, in, in just regular stand-up, it's just a perennial thing. Doggers, it's a joke, just yeah. saying doggers. You know? So that's one thing I've learned over the years, that's listening awesome. to Brits. Yeah. What do you uh, think is, like, the biggest thing that differentiates uh, British people from Americans for, like, comedy? Oh, the, the, pe- oh, the comedy. Yeah. We can do the comedy, and then we can do the people. Yeah, because the, pe- the people, that's very different. Yeah. I think in comedy, well... There's stand-up, obviously, and mm-hmm. then there are classic shows like Balti Towers and Blackadder and things like that. And then there's, um, I mean, the theater is very strong here, obviously, like in the big cities in, in the States or, or in Toronto as well. Yeah. Um, and then there are the panel shows, which, I mean, it's all comedians, right? It's all jokes, but it's a different style mm-hmm. that that you use. But I think it which is kind of similar. The panel shows and the and the stand up are kind of similar because you basically write your stand up. You go into new material nights mm-hmm. because the network has told you write jokes on Boris Johnson or write jokes on Princess Diana. Yeah. And then you try them out in clubs on new material and new act nights. And then you take them back and do them on the show. So panel shows and stand up very similar. Um, but I think I think like Americans. I'm not sure about canon Canadians. Yeah. But I think Americans tend to punch down. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot more. There's a lot more targeting. It's very macho. Yeah. Um, it's very much a performance because Americans, at least, I don't want to say all the North Americans because I'm, like I said, I'm not sure about Canadians. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of showing off. Yeah. A we lot get, of showing. We get a little bit of that just because we are north of of America, so we kind of take a lot of whatever they're doing, and we're like, oh, we will do it too. But yeah, that only, stop that doing that, goes, please. Yeah, that can only go so far. And that's, like, Toronto's obviously, like, you know, is very multicultural. So it's very yes. hard doing stand-up in Toronto just because you have people from a whole bunch of different cultures. So trying to relate to a bunch of different people from a, def- a bunch of different places is a little bit trickier than, say, going, yeah. like, to the U.S. And it's a lot – I've heard a lot of uh, Canadians that gone down there, they say it's a lot easier trying to relate to the to Americans than it is for over here just because of how diverse we are with our – with with people and comedy and maybe that makes you better yeah you know because it's like it's like the whole thing like never blame the audience Mm -hmm. so never say 
that was a shed audience tonight. Yeah. They just didn't get it. It's it, never you know, it's myself. never the audience. It's always the comedian. It's always the comedian. And a lot of really good comedians talk about, well, that's really just another challenge for you to get over. So if you can't hack it, it means you need to, to you know, really learn more and, and have more patience and mm-hmm. be more creative to relate to people. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's that's one big difference. There are things that Brits talk about that Americans don't, like pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Like, they say, I would say pedophilia. <laughs> yeah. They talk about it all the time because mm-hmm. a lot of their big stars uh, who, uh, especially a lot who hosted its shows in the 70s and 80s, were discovered, some even after they died, like Jimmy Savile, who worked at the BBC for forever, mm-hmm. uh, dis- discovered, you know, they had hundreds of victims. That's crazy. You know? And even like a pedophilia ring within the Tory party. Yeah. So, you know, there are those things. Obviously, you have Michael Jackson, Jeffrey Epstein, mm-hmm. you know, people like that in the States. Yeah. Um, but we just don't talk about it. And I'm wondering if that's because, you know, we're about 25% Catholic. I'm not religious at all. I'm completely yeah. secular. But at 25% Catholic, you know, obviously Jewish, Muslim, Hindu populations, Jewish mm-hmm. populations. But then the rest of people are generally either mainline or evangelical Protestants. Yeah. And that evangelical thread runs so strong through American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably part of it so even when our politicians run like um guy in alabama was it roy moore who was trying to become senator and almost did yeah it came out that basically he was a pedophile that that uh, you know followed young women in the mall even called them up at school and that's, asked them out that's just too right much. called out a science class got a phone call jenny yeah oh it's this guy who was the former sheriff or council member or something and um, and then we just don't talk about it because a lot of women, even because you'd think mothers would be really concerned, they would hold up signs saying something like "He believes in God" or "If you love God, you can do anything." That kind of thing. So some of his <laughs> if most you love vocif- God, you can do anything. Exactly. So some of his most vociferous supporters were women and mothers. Yeah. I feel so like that's very disturbing. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these religious people, whenever they whenever they end up dying and they end up going to hell. They're like, what? What am I doing here in hell? I praise God yeah. so much. Like, exactly. I, I what an asshole! It. Why did he do this to right? me? <laughs> I lived by his code. I hated gays and all that other stuff that's in the Bible. Exactly. God. Yeah. Oh man. Do you think uh, religion's ever gonna? Is, do you think it's gonna like stick around, or do you think it's ever, ever gonna like stop? I think there will always be enclaves. Yeah religious groups Mm -hmm. it would be interesting to know because obviously well i shouldn't say obviously but to me the future is very dystopian yeah (laughs) i'm 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 pretty pessimistic about humanity i'm not a fan of the species yeah at all um i it might sort of drift toward a more cult-like yeah um situation with religion um but you know so many people already say when you do polls like mm-hmm. I read a poll several years ago that like all of New Zealanders, I mean, there are four million of them, like sixty percent say they're either secular or completely non-aligned. Right mm-hmm. in the states, that number is growing. Yeah, it's really kind of growing everywhere. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, what's also growing is this susceptibility to conspiracy theories. Yeah, you know, and susceptibility to the whole idea of UFOs again. Yeah. But they you did know. have that one video that came out recently. 
about the one uh, captain who ended up like following like some weird moving like tic tac object. And they also had that other ship that was also viewing it as well. So they had two people having eyes on it and they had no idea what it was. Yeah. And I, oh, I love that kind of stuff. I yeah. actually at home, I have an encyclopedia of extraterrestrials. So they have all of the, the stories in it of the abductions and representations throughout the decades of, yeah. of the aliens. I love that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but when people sort of attach themselves to it as a religion, yeah, or even as an, as an ideology, how they see existence, mm-hmm. um, I think that's where it becomes kind of dangerous. Yeah. You know, like flat earthers. Oh my God. Are 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 growing in number again. When now through historical documentation, we now know that even Christopher Columbus, the genocidal bastard that he was, yeah, he even knew at that time in the 15th century that the Earth was round. Yeah. Based on the some maps we found. That mm-hmm. So, anyway, right. it's oh. ridiculous. Yeah, just a little bit. But you're always gonna have stupid people because stupid breeds stupid. Yes. And that's why I'm kind of like if all the sensible people are staying indoors, then it's a pretty ah. good that all of the stupid people are outside. Cause they're kind of just going to like wipe themselves out. Like they'll just get rid of a lot of stupid. And then it's like, okay, cool. Our stupid numbers are pretty low. So then we can just, okay. All the smart people just start repopulating. <laughs> it's the, uh, I see a lot of uh, tweets and stuff on social media, like Darwin awards go to, yeah. and you'll see picture with of people without masks, not social distancing in parks and carrying a yeah <laughs> you know 47s or whatever yeah oh man that's crazy so uh you said that you're doing um like writing you're writing a lot and doing the you're doing an improv group right to keep uh, up with comedy yeah it's not improv oh, it's okay. all scripted, all scripted it's okay. a, yeah it's a british style panish panel show mm-hmm. with uh, four other people from the stand-up course that i did in january yeah and um yeah, it's really good. We've done two shows so far. We had a three-week break between the first and second, um, yeah. and then we're going to have another. We're going to try to do it every two weeks because people with some of their work schedules or their family stuff at home, it's just too much to have to write. A, ends up being about a thirty-five-minute show. Oh wow! Um, to yeah. an audience. Yeah. On Zoom. Oh, okay. So you and, do it on Zoom. Yeah, on Zoom. Okay. And we're trying to figure out too, you know, how to take out maybe because we do it in rounds. So round one will be. You know, spot the fake headline and round two will be who is the hero this week and who's the zero so we do get a lot get to do a lot of cultural like pop culture and political stuff okay and um i particularly love writing those Mm -hmm. and so i spend quite a bit of time every day almost at least i'd say five out of the seven days of the week i'm probably writing between two and four hours a day okay and so I'm trying to maintain that discipline. But then I also work on my own stand-up. Mm-hmm. So there's that other thing. You're writing a little bit differently. You don't um, have to write to a brief. You know, the brief you're writing to is round one is about this. Mm-hmm. Round two is about this. So you're writing specifically to that kind of style or topic. Mm-hmm. Um, stand-up, you can just do anything you want. Um, so, yeah, I try to maintain a, a, a writing discipline. And I, I follow, especially the free stuff that comedians put out online. There's a great comedian I love, Meryl O'Rourke, mm-hmm. who just a week or two ago, I watched her on Facebook Live and what she did, because she has kids at home and she's helping to homeschool them. But obviously she can't go out a gig. Mm-hmm. But she is a comedy writer for shows, uh, which are often hosted by other comedians. 
So she's still writing that because she has several clients. And whenever they can get back to production, they'll be using that material. Yeah. And she says, you know, you can't, because her husband's working from home too. Oh, she needs a space for herself. She said, so I go out to my car. <laughs> she takes a plate of like cookies and fresh fruit and her coffee. Yeah. She sets it in her, you know, the passenger seat. She has her notebook. She has her phone where she's broadcasting the Facebook live from. She has her computer for research. Mm -hmm. So often she'll have to do a lot of research on, say, a politician or something they want to joke about or policy they endorse that they want to joke about. And um, she, she said, I can't share any of this information with you because it's not mine. I'm doing it for a client. It was her own stand-up. She would share that, which is fair. Yeah. Um, good policy. And so I just watched her for an hour. And she set out, this is what I do basically every day. Mm -hmm. I write for uh, five hours. I schedule my breaks. I have to do all the administration with like emails or creating invoices and sending to clients. So she walks all through that. And I love watching that kind of stuff mm -hmm. because it's just fascinating, the details of what it means and how you have to live to work as a comedy writer and or just a stand-up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's a, it's a lot of work. I mean, just being a stand up, too, because a lot of people think that, oh, somebody just gets up on stage in front of a mic and they're just naturally that good at it. It's like, no, there's a, a lot of work that goes behind all of this. I even practice like at home in front of the mirror. Like they're not just saying it for the first time in front of you. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And you would have timed it at least five times. Yeah, exactly. All, all that stuff. Like, like, we, okay. count, we count in minutes. We don't count in hours. We count in minutes. Like that's right. how precise we get. Yeah, I'm still, you know, as you go along, you're going to develop that internal clock. Okay, that's five minutes. Yeah. That's about five minutes. That's about 10. Mm -hmm. I don't have that yet, obviously. We'll probably come, you know, down the line. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. I heard somebody, I said it was some British comic who said when he was growing up, he used to watch the famous uh, Scottish comedian, Billy Connolly, mm -hmm. who I watched him growing up too, mostly in movies because we didn't get the stand-up over in the state. And just, just a legend. And, um, and he said, I always thought, how could he do that? And then I saw Billy Connolly in an interview where it was just him and the reporter. And he said, when I was growing up and watching stand-up comedy, I thought people just got up on stage, did it off the top of their heads. Yeah. He said, so when I started in stand-up, that's exactly what I did. Mm -hmm. And if you go back and watch Billy Connolly, like in the 80s when he was you know, coming up, it is insane because he's genius. Yeah. And he didn't write probably any of that ahead of time mm -hmm. and you just you but just, that's why he's billy Connolly, yeah, right he just trained his brain to like think of the jokes on the fly exactly i mean that's why we were so impressed so much with like robin how robin williams would act in interviews yeah and exactly suddenly he has 25 jokes mm -hmm. yeah or like rodney dangerfield going back that far yes just constantly like make crushing it every all like every one-liner just crushing it you know one one a person i loved growing up and who was very much like that was Jonathan Winters. Mm -hmm. I just, I love Jonathan Winters, but you could talk about anything and he would go off on a, like a two minute set mm -hmm. on that just, one just thing. just has an opinion about it, has an opinion about everything. It's like, this is yeah. what I think about it. This is what makes me laugh about this certain thing. Exactly. And I just, I don't know if I, if I can think that fast. I don't know yeah. if I want to, because I'm very meticulous about what I say and mm -hmm. I like to say in a particular rhythm and mm -hmm. i i love that aspect of writing and how the word sounds or, or the phrases sound to my ear and so i'll often 
listen to music and get in that zone, like get in the writing zone. Yeah. Um, I can't listen to podcasts when I'm writing <laughs> at all. Yeah. <laughs> like it has it's, to be it's music. It's too distracting. Way too distracting. Yeah. And it normally has to be music that I love already. I'm not listening to new music on Spotify playlists. Yeah. If I'm irritated, I can't get this joke out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, again, and I try to kind of write to a rhythm like I will take the word the out or and out and be mm -hmm. like that's a way better joke because it sounds better mm -hmm. and also it sounds better to the ear and also you get closer to it like you're shaving all the fat off yeah, yeah exactly yeah that's you're getting to the nugget mm -hmm. and, but then it also feels better coming out of your mouth yeah <laughs> you know it's a weird physical experience mm -hmm. at least for me we just have a way with words yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> oh, so, what has been uh, your most "it's bananas" moment? So, something that's mm. in your life that uh, either in comedy or in your life, uh, something that happened like really good or really bad. Just anything that made you look back and like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. Like, that's bananas. Really good or really bad? Well, obviously, bombing is bad. Yeah. I I completely alienated my audience with the joke I added at last minute, right at the beginning, after they clapped for me when I said this is my this is only my fourth gig. Mm -hmm. Warm, lovely, welcome. I dropped that shit nugget. I tried to get into it, and then like silence. And it was also mostly comics. I'm finding that uh, open mics where it's just or it's mostly comics, mm -hmm. mostly other comedians are the worst gigs. Oh yeah, trust me, it's <laughs> the same thing here in Canada. Like. Yeah. Everybody hates doing shows where there's only comedians uh, that are at the shows because, like, we don't want to make another comedian laugh. We want to make an audience laugh because those are different thinking people. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting to see the comedians who do laugh mm -hmm. in, in those sets or even other times when I've been out at the club where I'm just in the audience, but I know they're com the com comedians maybe standing up at the back of the room or, or just other comedians who are there but not performing that night, just mm. in the audience. A lot of them don't laugh. Yeah. Um, but it's bananas moments. I don't know. I think I don't have that many. I've had a pretty boring life, but <laughs> I remember uh, I'm almost dying on an Aeroflot flight when I was really young because it was so awful. But um, I think, may oh, maybe in real life, I once helped a woman who had a seizure in a clothing store in Madison, Wisconsin. She was mm -hmm. behind the counter. I was looking at like some buttons or something on the counter. And because this is the kind of stuff that scares me because I think, can I save someone's life? Yeah. Am I qualified <laughs> to do this? <laughs> Am I qualified? Do I have to Google I don't it first and be like, oh, do I save exactly. this person? Exactly. All I know is 911. And uh, she just keeled over. Her head hit like the side of a, a cardboard box. Yeah. And just, it was either epileptic seizure or something else. And she was seizing. And I was one of the few people in the store. And I remember just throwing down my purse, trying to get her head where she's not like banging it on the box or the floor. Mm -hmm. And everybody started to gather around. Like more people came into the store all of a yeah. sudden. It felt like. You got to do one of those, like, <laughs> give her air. Come on, give her some air. <laughs> That's what I felt like. I was like, can somebody call 911? Oh my God, I got to hold up her head. Yeah. And someone tried to help me and she wasn't saying anything. And I was asking her questions and I was like, why are you helping me if you're not going to say anything? Yeah. 
And so wake up, wake finally, up, damn it. <laughs> <Start shaking. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that, that's one of the, the craziest things ha- to happen to me personally. Yeah. It, completely unrelated to comedy or completely unrelated. Yeah, you to, can like, always make it into a joke somehow. I know. I've been thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure ultimately she did survive, but I just remember the the you know the fire truck and the ambulance got there, and a couple of guys came in mm-hmm. and were looking at her because I remember looking at her eyes and they were really dilated, and saying, "Can you hear me?" Yeah. And I don't think she could hear me at that point, or mm-hmm. if she could, she could respond. And then I heard him say, like two minutes later, when they came up, "Can you hear me?" You just had a seizure, and I remember hearing her from behind the counter because she fell over behind the counter, and I'm mm-hmm. on the other side waiting to see what happened. I hear her say, "What the fuck are you talking about?" It's like she had no idea, and who knows what. But I was like, "I'm out of here, man." Maybe she was so just, just tripping that bad that she didn't even know she was having a seizure. <laughs> she could be like, "That was the best trip ever." Yeah. Just um, ask her what yeah. she was taking. <laughs> I, I know it's that's, yes. Did you take the brown or the, you know, the, yeah. Um, yeah, so I just grabbed my purse and left, but it was one of those things where you're just kind of trembling afterwards because the adrenaline spikes, because yeah. you're thinking this person could die mm-hmm. in front of me. And then then also, really, I might have to answer questions. Yeah, you're <laughs> you know, like, like, you know what, I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> no, not, yeah. not at all. I'm not going down yeah. to the station with you. Oh, man. Yeah, I remember I had to do that because I saw somebody get hit by um, um, by a car. They were on a bicycle, okay. and the person that was driving the car, she was turning, um, she was turning left, and the, uh, the uh, person on the bicycle was like driving through the intersection, and she turned left and just clipped him, and he ended up going like flying all the way over her car. And um, like I saw this whole thing, so I'm like trying to help the guy. A couple other people like ran over to help as well, like get the bike off the off the road and like get him to safety. And yeah. then um, by the time, like, the paramedics came, because I stayed with them, making sure he was okay, and they started asking me a bunch of questions, and, and like, they got my information. So I'm like, oh, okay, like, I, I don't think they'll ever, like, ask me anything after this whole event because they already know exactly what happened. And then, yeah. like, a couple weeks later, I get, like, a cop calling me. I'm like, oh, no, this is where it all starts. I didn't want this. <laughs> and I ended up going, having to go to court. Uh, this was at, like, what? nine. Pardon? You went to court? Yeah, to like uh, to testify, like, oh, this person ended up hitting him because I saw them. Oh, yeah. Correct. So it's because yeah. I was a witness to to the incident. So it was like at nine o'clock in the morning. I, I dressed up all nice and fancy, and I'm like, I see the guy that got hit. He was barely wearing like anything fancy at all. He was just wearing like shitty rundown clothes, and I'm like, okay, this okay. is gonna go over well. And apparently, <laughs> the uh, the person, the woman that hit him, didn't even show up at all. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, I just showed up for nothing. And then I had to, I got called back again, and her dad ended up showing up to, like, represent her. And so they're like, oh, well, we can't represent her if she's not here. Or, right. Like, we can't, do, we can't do anything about it if she's not here. So I'm like, fuck, you guys just wasted two of my, two of my mornings for this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is why I'm never going to, like, witness anything again. Because I'm like, whenever I see something, I'm like, no, what? No, I don't want to deal with this shit. I don't want to be a witness. Hell no. <laughs> exactly see this this jeremy yeah. this is the kind of stuff i was afraid of yeah and so yeah no i left yeah but i mean like if you do see something really bad and like a crime going down that's like with drug lords then maybe don't be a witness to that because you'll probably get murdered yeah <laughs> exactly because yeah. the names will be made public right yes 
And also the police will have a file on you, yeah, if, exactly. even if you've done oh, nothing God. wrong. And there's always going to be corrupt cops out there, especially. Exactly. It's it's crazy how, how corrupt cops are still going around. Like, I don't know if you've heard about that recent story uh, about those cops that went into that person's house, the wrong, the wrong person's house. Uh, I think it was a black family, and they ended up shooting the the wife. And she ended up, well, she was an EMT. She, they ended up shooting her because, yes, yeah, and they were like, oh, like, we, we let them know that we're cops, but they weren't wearing a uniform. They were driving an unmarked car. It's like, why is this even legal? Like, they need, like, a lot more laws to actually protect people versus protecting these kind of cops because they're not really cops. They're just taking, they're just people that want to take the law into their hands. Absolutely. It's, it's you know, quote-unquote vigilante yeah. justice. But it's not and... vigilante justice. They just ran into the wrong house without any, like, information on what's going on. And all they wanted to do was just protect themselves, but they couldn't do that because if you have somebody coming in saying, oh, this is the police, like, obviously you're not going to go shoot the police. No, oh, no, man. you're not. Although maybe sometimes you should. Maybe. I mean, that should be a thing. <laughs> if they're not mean? wearing if they're not if wearing they're a uniform, you. you know what? Just shoot them because they should be wearing a uniform if they're barging into your place. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, it could be somebody who who somebody else who wants to kill you. Yeah. Who is just saying the police so you don't fight back. Yeah, right? exactly. But I mean, the the racism, the racism oh, is so, so deeply entrenched. Like in the states, the police started out as slave patrols. Mm -hmm. So there is that history yeah. within within the, the police force, mm. and they're huge institutions too that make a lot of money. Yeah, and they invest that money and draw the interest mm -hmm. used. So I mean, they're gigantic. It's like how universities look. You know, private universities work in the yeah. states, or, or really lots of institutions. Walmart does it. You know, teachers unions do it. That kind yeah. of. But um, yeah, it's absolutely it's absolutely awful, and it's it's just saturated the U.S. media, mm -hmm. and a lot of people I think just turn out and don't care anymore. Yeah. Um, and also now in a pandemic, you can hold marches that might or protests that might call. Um, national or even just local or even global attention mm -hmm. like you know what happened in Ferguson Missouri with Mike yeah. Brown mm -hmm. um, that was a huge movement and the police fought back with you know military weaponry yeah. that was sold to them given to them by the Defense Department and a lot of Palestinian activists were making connections with Ferguson protesters and yeah. activists as well um, because there's that there's that link between them. Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, it's incredibly it's incredibly demoralizing. Right. And uh, I came across a, a white person on Twitter the other day who asked if this phrase was like a like a character description for a cast casting of a black person. They use the word jungle and street in it to describe this person. And he yeah. says it seems kind of racist. I said it absolutely is. If you have to ask the question, yeah. You already have the answer. And then we had a back and forth. And he was saying, you know, I I won't speak for any community. It's not my place to speak for any community, even mine. And I was assuming he would admit white. Yeah. Because uh, I could I could also see his picture um, on his page. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it is especially, especially incumbent upon white people, all that racism, especially to other white people. Because mm -hmm. that white solidarity that happens, when something racist is said or something racist goes down. Yeah. But white people are like, no, we're not going to say anything about it. Mm -hmm. That's why it continues. Yeah. yeah. So even if it makes you feel scared or uncomfortable, at least you've said something. Mm -hmm. Even if you just say no, no, 
I think you're wrong, even if it's as simple as that. Yeah. Honestly, this is why I love Canada, because uh, there was a racist moment where uh, I was on a streetcar and uh, this woman, she was speaking another language, I'm guessing to her significant other. And mm -hmm. um, so she was talking to him for a long time. And there's this older white woman that ended up looking right at, like, right at her and is like, no, no, we can't have this anymore. And the woman like takes out her earbud and she's like, what? She's like, no, this is Canada. You speak English. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like... Really? Mm -hmm. And the moment that she said that, everybody on the streetcar turned towards her and be like, get off right now. Get off of this streetcar. That We don't tolerate that stuff here. Good. And like, Good. It was funny because there was even like uh, an Australian guy that was on there. And he's just like, hey, I'm from Australia. And I'm like, what is it? They speak English in Australia. You're not helping. <laughs> no, I know. Look at your own history, pal. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I just love how everybody was like defending the woman that was speaking another language just because like, this is Canada. Like we're multicultural. You're gonna run into people that speak other languages, and if you don't like the, that they're speaking another language, then get off. You don't have to listen to them. Yeah, exactly. 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 Right? I love. I. That's one thing I love about Canada. I mean, everybody also has their. I mean, with white settler colonialism, there's always a very tragic history. Yeah. <laughs> um, because if we use that, maybe the woman should be speaking Cree or something. You yeah. know. Uh, you know. I mean, because indigenous peoples were colonized mm -hmm. but um that's one thing that's kind of written into your well it's written into your laws there's a multicultural mandate mm -hmm. and it's a tradition it's a cultural practice yeah and i know everybody always falls short of that but you're always trying for that mm -hmm. you know and i love that the the way i've experienced canada that kind of moment of people turning into her and saying that kind of reflects my just general experience in Toronto or Newfoundland or or Vancouver places I've spent time yeah yeah that's really nice yeah it's nice so what are you doing to stay positive during this whole coronavirus mess going on um well see I'm an introvert so I'm kind of a misanthrope too yeah so I mean people are people are good at a certain point when you're like five times busier than you would be normally mostly because you're on zoom all the time yeah like you have to start i've had to a few times the past couple months or so like virtually distance myself mm -hmm. <laughs> um, from bit like i'll tell my parents i need a couple of days off i'll tell my sister i'll talk to you next week you know that kind of thing yeah um so it's actually kind of just generally positive i like being alone a mm -hmm. lot of the time i like but myself thing... i like talking to myself i'm a pretty good person to talk to <laughs> yeah exactly i've actually um I've actually gotten to know myself more and realized I'm, I'm a better person than I always tell myself mm -hmm. I am. Because I tell myself, you know, all the voices in your head, like the crushing self-doubt about a joke or, you know, yeah. being haunted by that one time you bombed and completely alienated everybody. That was so embarrassing. Yeah. Um, one thing I do miss is just walking around London. It's just such a walkable city. Yeah. And with so few people on the street that I see wearing masks or, e or even just socially distancing. Yeah. It's very hard without walking down the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to walk any distance in London um, and, and, you know, still feel kind of safe about it. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I really miss. Um, I'm lucky because I'm looking out the window now and I have a couple huge trees and there's a back garden that I can look down onto or just go out and sit on the benches out there when I want to. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's positive for me because I came to England to do what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. 
you know, to perform, even though it's not in a club, it's not a comedy night in a basement with 30 people, yeah. and half of whom are comedians. Um, but at least I'm doing it. Like I've done four gigs this week mm-hmm. online and that, that feels good. You yeah. know, you start really nailing your set. I'm still using notes sometimes when I need it. So I have a little document open. Oh, nice. the top <laughs> of, of, of it's the like, don't worry. Thing. I'm not reading whatever that I'm saying right now. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, I look. I look around a, a yeah. lot anyway. Kind Just of to make it seem up. like, yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. This is all on the top of my head. <laughs> exactly. Some of them are like the yeah. opening ones. I'm like after that, and the, the closing ones. Yeah. But um, like I, you know, and I, I joke about it too. Like, you know, I just using that in my act. But I'm also trying to write around Corona and around yeah. down because mm-hmm. you want little evergreen pieces that are good five years from now mm-hmm. still get allowed. Yeah. But it's it's all anyone can kind of think of. And I watch a lot of I watch a lot of comedy online. Yeah. And um, there's a great club in Glasgow that also has a place in Edinburgh and in Newcastle upon time. They have different clubs. Mm-hmm. It's just got a legendary club in the UK called The Stand. And um, every Saturday, I think since like maybe two weeks after lockdown started around the late March, I guess, almost every week. They've done like an hour and a half show where people will either record bits and send it in or they'll do like a live feed. Mm-hmm. And they have an amazing uh, stand-up uh, who emcees the whole thing from a little apartment with a tech who's about eight feet away on his computer and handling the microphones and everything yeah. and, and filming. And so it goes out on a, on a YouTube live feed. So I watch that every Saturday. I give a little donation, you know, what I can every mm-hmm. week just. And I watch a lot of other comedy and I, I'm talking with the five other people, well, the four other people in our five member comedy group almost every day. And yeah. we do watch alongs on Fridays or Saturdays. So like last night we watched Mars Attacks together nice. and, awesome. you know, and we've, yeah, we've watched Labyrinths together and yeah. The Princess Bride and things like that. And that's always fun. You stay positive, you stay social, but mm-hmm. without it being exhausting, it's so much easier to do online gigs. That was one thing that really helped because I thought my material is dark. It's kind of sexual. It's a little, some people might be offended by it. But there's always an audience stuff. for that kind there's, of stuff. There's always an audience. And I yeah. thought I can keep some of that, but some stuff I wasn't even, I wasn't happy with anyway. Yeah. I thought I'm just going to write a whole lot of new material. And the night before, the first gig I did online, was a comedy fundraiser with this animal rights organization that helps animals in Ontario, and they have a lot of connections in India. Yeah. Was well. that uh, Luke Lindale's show? No, but oh. he was on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, he was. I think he was the last comic on it. Okay. But I know, I know Luke through through Facebook. I'm mm-hmm. going to try to do his show at some point. Yeah. Um, and I had to do, and I had signed up like three weeks before. I had to do ten minutes. The most I'd ever done was seven and a half. Yeah. And I thought I can do this. I wrote an entire new set. The day before nice like this works and some of the materials like you know there's gonna be a mixed crowd different ages people are there they're already gonna have goodwill because they've paid 20 bucks for a ticket they want to support this organization yeah a lot of them would be friends of the organizers and and people on the, on the organization's board that let's do that and so i was really proud of that set i That's half awesome. memorized it yeah yeah but that was my first gig back, mm-hmm. uh, and it ended up being, I think I went on at 3 o'clock my time Yeah. in the morning. And so uh, 
yeah, that was really good. And I was like, yeah, I can, I could do a 10 minute set. It could be good. It could get laughs. Of course, things need to be tweaked because you just wrote it. It has to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you have to gig mm-hmm. to tweak it, to know what to do. It's not always just audio recording yourself yeah. or just getting feedbacks from other feedback from other comedian friends. Cause mm-hmm. I'm at a point like, I'm not sure I actually want feedback. I want to do it yeah. and listen or when they're muted, watch their faces. Who's laughing yeah. at what? And then what I do afterwards, if I've written out the set in my notebook, I'll go back through like a blue highlighter and highlight all the lines, all the jokes that, that got a laugh. Yeah. Or if I type it out, I'll go back like in Word and I'll highlight everything that got a laugh. And yeah. I'll say, you know, like what, what, the, what, yeah, what the venue was, what date, yeah. you know, and I name every bit so mm-hmm. I know this is my set list. Yeah, yeah. And it gives you a good idea. Like right. over time yeah exactly and that's what uh some people around here do too is um instead of highlighting though they just like type out their set and then whenever they hear a laugh they hit enter and then they start typing out again and then when they hear laugh, a laugh again right. they just hit enter so you every time you see a space is like that's when you get laughs oh that's really good that's yeah. really good because when i started um i thought how am i ever going to remember over five minutes and then as i build up after the set who laughed? Like what? What jokes? What punchlines got a laugh? Like yeah. which ones landed? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I'm I'm finding zero difficulty remembering. Yeah. So if you just have Very... an audio recording of it or a video recording of it, then you just listen to it. You type out everything that you're saying and then hit enter after every laugh. Exactly. And I haven't actually been. I've seen a couple of Zoom videos. Yeah. But I always forget to hit record on my phone oh. <laughs> so <laughs> i'm gonna have to start doing that and like developing the internal clock and all those things that you have to do to keep reviewing your stuff yeah do the uh producers also ever just record right the now, shows sometimes they do yeah, yeah sometimes they do yeah, the comedy say, fundraiser just, like, ask them for it or something just so that you can use it for your just your purpose absolutely and in some like um the for like it was like a minute and 15 second clip I took from the show that that comedy fundraiser last week um, or on or on Sunday uh, sent me. I just took out a little clip where it got a bunch of laughs, mm-hmm. and um, I used that. And the promoter, the organizer of the gig I did last night, started using it like on Wednesday, like yeah. started posting it. So it helped with promotion for her show because her show is brand new. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, people get to see the like the kind of political stuff. I did you know Bernie Sanders jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy, crazy time. Well, kind of. I want to thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks. I really had a lot of fun. It was nice chatting with you. Yes, it was nice. And thank you for being my first international person, giving us a little bit of insight from a British and American perspective. I really appreciate that. Thanks. Yes, and thank you guys so much for for staying uh, for staying around. Uh, kind of, where can uh, people follow you for audio uh, on purposes? In- Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh Instagram.com slash kinda Morgan. Okay. Uh Facebook, I'm kinda dot Morgan. Kinda spelled K Y N A. Okay. Um, and uh that's good. I, I'll plug my panel show if yeah, I yeah, can. Yeah, send me your panel show and I'll throw that in the description for uh for the YouTube channel. Oh, okay, thanks. because uh, I, I did a little with one person in the group, we did a little news flash of fake headlines last week and we're gonna start putting up clips Perfect. of the shows. But it's um Facebook.com slash groups slash the weekly outlook. Okay, awesome. Yeah, just send me that link and I'll throw it in the descriptions. Okay, and great. Thanks, Jeremy. You're welcome. 
And thank you guys so much. If you guys enjoyed the video, don't forget to like and subscribe. And if you're a comedian, uh, feel free to shoot me a message if you want to come on. And you guys can follow me at It's Jeremy Fisher on Instagram. Or you can follow my production company that helped create this at uh, Grayfish Productions. Uh, guys, thank you so much. Um, Kaina, thank you again. Thank you so Thanks. much. Guys, let's peel out.